in nature according to what God's taught us in his word. Now, and by the way, if you have questions, feel free. We can stop at a point and, and answer those questions. But I want to share with you the biggest mistake that I think parents make is that they start permissive. They start with a lot of latitude for the child. But then as the child grows older, they have to get more restrictive. They have to, oh my gosh, they're not listening to us. Now we really need to bring the hammer down on them. And I want to encourage you as parents to do exactly the opposite. Start very strict with them. Your no means no. When you speak to them, you expect them to listen to you at the first, on the first time. You're, you know, they're used to wait oh they oh they just said it they said it again oh now they're yelling now I need to listen to them okay that's a really bad pattern to be establishing in your parenting so uh, starting right at that point when they're starting to say no they're starting to disrespect your authority they're starting to move in a different direction to you that is the time to really establish a very simple thing mom and dad are the authority in your life. And when we say something, we expect you to listen to it. Talk about in the teenage years how that's the time for them to really develop their, the strength of character, the strength of purpose, and the, the setting of the directions of their lives. But they need to grow from a place of submission to be able to launch into that with health. Otherwise, their, their growth in teenagers is all about rebellion. It's not about really discovering who they are as a person and finding strength of character. Does that make sense? So, as, and by the way, that was a, did you hear the question? It was a great question. Um, and so I would say, you know, between two and five, we are actually looking for compliance. We're looking for that child to hear you and to obey you And to be honest, the only reason they need at that point in life is because I said so. You know, I know a lot of books have come out, oh, you should reason with your two-year-old, help them to understand why you're doing all of this stuff. Now, they need to know something very simple. God has put us over your lives as the authority. And, And so when we say something to you, we expect you to obey. And this becomes very important because if your child is running out into the street and they haven't been trained to listen to you and to stop when you say stop, they could be put in harm's way. So the reason you're doing this is really for their protection. Does that make sense? It's very interesting because we've been in China over the last three years and they don't say no to their children. And... We would have some of the couples over, and they'd have their kids who were uh, five, six, seven, and they had not learned to really respond to their parents' uh, or any authority, or yeah. any adult. And they would come into our apartment, and they would climb all over our couches, and they would go into rooms that they would jump on the back of our couches. <laughs> And, and they would we flip like, the lights on and off, on and off. You know, not just two or three times, 20, 30, 40 times. And the parents were just, you know, just smiling. And, the, and it, in China, they, call, they literally call this the little emperor. That's what the child is called. He's the little emperor. I was, before Connie came with me, I was in China alone. I was eating dinner with a couple. 
a little boy I'd never met came over to my table and started taking food off of my plate. And I looked over at the parents, and they're smiling and waving and everything. I just, I was aghast. <laughs> and, I, and I saw, oh, this is what happens when you don't discipline your children at this key age when they need to learn authority. Let me talk a little bit about what you need to focus on in this time uh, of the kids. What are the kind of rules you should be setting as a couple or if you're a single mom as an individual? Number one, rules have to do with getting along with others. You know, so uh, probably biting, hitting, kicking, not great stuff to be allowing in that time. So you want to, and again, this is where you as parents need to be dead on the same page. I mean, just totally together. And if, if you don't talk about it, you won't be on the same page. I guarantee you that, okay? So these are things, it has to do with respecting property, has to do with respecting your authority. And by the way, both dad and mom need to be involved with this, okay? Again, if you're a single mom, I, I got to be honest, there are challenges you will have that other people don't have, but I want you to know the grace of God is going to equip you to do this in a successful way. But this is something where you are going to have to kind of play both sides of the equation as you're, as you're raising your child or your children. Um, okay, some principles. Be firm. Do not tolerate bad behavior. Don't wait till it gets to a point where you're, you're going crazy. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, sometimes you're just, they're doing something and it's not bothering you that bad and you just let them do it, bothers you a little more, and then you blow up at them. And that is a, a very bad pattern to set. So don't tolerate. I have to say that parenting is very exhausting mm-hmm. and I know that... I would get so upset that my kids made me have to discipline them or deal with a new issue or come up with some guidelines or respond to things because it's like, oh, come on, let's just, can we just relax? Why do you have to get into trouble again? And so I think that because it's tiring, you might just want to, you know, give up and just not mess with things. That's the time where you say, Lord, just give me strength to be a mom today, to respond to these situations with your strength. I tell you, I remember specifically a time calling on the Lord for strength to deal with my kids when they were four and two and newborn and thinking, I just can't do this, Lord. And I got through that day and I look back and I go, wow, you gave me strength to do it. So really call on him he's there to help you because this is hard work by the way if you're a single mom and you're wondering how do I do this as a single mom can I give you one piece of advice and that is to get a friend who has children in your rough age group where you can talk with them about some of the things that we're talking about talking with your husband about so get a gal friend that you can uh, talk and say hey could could I just run by what I'm thinking with you. And then I think just being able to talk through that will give you more courage and confidence to 
work through that stuff with your child. Sometimes when you're on your own, you're just, am I doing it wrong? Am I doing it right? And you just don't know what you're doing. So even couple on couple, I would recommend that for you guys to have a partner that you can talk through these issues. Uh, but it's very important that you have consistency and firmness mixed with gentleness. Okay? Uh, consistency, that there's a line that no matter what day it is, no matter how you're feeling, whether you're tired or not tired, whatever's going on, they know they cross this line, they're going to get busted. In a good way. I'm, you know, understand I'm talking from a different generation. You know, we talk about whacking kids and all of this kind of stuff. So just, just kind of interpret it from one generation to the next. Um, kids need to know what you expect of them. Okay, no, you may not turn on the TV. You must ask my permission. Or whatever it is, you're the ones who have the right to set those rules, okay? We're not talking about biblical absolutes here. We're talking about rules of living in your family. They need to understand what you expect of them and the consequences of bad behavior, but they also need to understand at the same time that you love them, even when you're disciplining them. Okay? Don't discipline according to your mood. Discipline according to the rules you've set up. Yeah? Say that one more time. No offense, but. What do you do with grandparents? It's worth having a talk with us. <laughs> See, that's why they came tonight. They wanted to bring this up. It, no, seriously, uh, this, I think it is very important, and you guys and all of you understand that the parents are the ones who have the authority over the children, not the grandparents. Okay? And if they are, if we are violating things that are important to you, it's important not just to laugh it off, but it's important to say, hey, these are the things we need to talk about, you know. And, and you know, I would do that graciously. Understand that most of your parents are rolling your, their eyes at how you're raising your kids, but by and large, you're doing a great job. And so they'll... they'll We're not rolling our eyes at you guys. No, no. <laughs> but do you know what grandparents do when they get together? They talk about what their kids are doing with the grandkids, you know. You won't believe what my, you know, all of this kind of stuff. It's like the secret grandparents club, you know. It's kind of how they make themselves feel good about it. And, but here's the thing. I would, I would... And this is where if you have in mind... What are the non-negotiables of our parenting? There are a lot of negotiables. There's a lot, you know, oh, you fed them too much uh, sugar. sugar, you know, or something. You know. That might be a negotiable. Maybe it is a non-negotiable. I don't know. But if, if they're allowing your children to do something that you feel is harmful spiritually, emotionally, mentally, or physically. Like certain movies? No, I wouldn't talk about <laughs> movies. But. We, we were, when we were raising our kids, I just have to let you know, we were very permissive when it came to movies. But, uh, and none of our kids are. 
It's really funny. None of our kids are permissive, but uh, we were. So anyway, but <laughs> here's the important thing. Talk to them respectfully. Talk with them with gentleness. But again, it's kind of like disciplining your kids. Having, you know, raising your grandparents is kind of like raising your kids, okay? You have to be firm, but gentle and loving, but <laughs> firm still, okay? Does that, does that make sense? Okay. I think it depends, too, on, you know, if you're leaving them there for a weekend or a week or, and, and you want your parents, the grandparents, to kind of keep them on their schedule because it's important. You've developed a schedule with them, and that's, it's really important to communicate those things and, and to keep them on a regular eating plan and even help because grandparents don't know at all, so it's important. But if it's just... You know, one time, once a month, or whatever. I I think you can relax a little on your expectations of them to, you know, because grandparents can be the fun, enjoyable uh, kind of a break from good that, cop, bad cop kind yeah, of yeah. From the yeah everyday okay. Routine okay. Of mom and dad. But let me just enforce one one principle out of all of this. This is your decision. Yeah. Okay. It's not your grandparents' children. They don't have the right to undo what you're trying to do in your kids' lives. Yeah? What if you kind of have the opposite scenario where I have a child that is, um, he tests the grandparents all the time and they don't have the same tools of discipline that I can use with my son that he responds to. And so how do you equip the grandparents Okay. This is really good, you guys, because these so are real the life issues. Is how to, when the opposite is true, where the kids are kind of pushing the grandparents or testing their limits with the grandparents, and how do you equip them to kind of? But they don't have the same commitments that you do, right? Is that what you're saying? Correct. Okay. This is great, and let me talk to you a little bit about communication whether it's with grandparents, whether it's kids, whether it's with each other. Never talk when you're mad. Okay? We've, we said that last week. This is very important. Uh, most of the times when those kind of conversations come up is when you see something, you know, you, ah, you know, and you finally blow cork and you go up to them and say, I can't stand it when you do this. Don't do this anymore. You know, we're not going to bring our kids over anymore if you do this kind of stuff. The time to do this is to maybe get a sitter for your kids and say to your parents, hey, can, can we go on? I, I need to talk to you about some things. And set up a specific time to talk to them. Principle number two, be crystal clear what you want to say to them. This will sound funny, but I recommend if you're going to talk to your parents about something or you know any important conversation, actually write out what you need to say to them. It's not that you're going to read it, but I have found for me that when I have a tough conversation, if I write out what I want to say, I have a much better chance of saying it clearly. Does that make sense? Okay. Third, uh, share with them that you are grateful to God for their support, but you, it, you're approaching this from the standpoint that God has given you the responsibility to bring your children up. Yeah. It's never talking when you're mad 
thing. Um, <laughs> is that just kind of like a general principle with every relationship? That is a universal principle <laughs> with all yeah, relationships. It hasn't worked out so good it, in my life. Yeah. Uh, you get better, Tim. Okay. Yeah. Nothing good ever happens when you're angry. And that's what James 1.20 is saying. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So if you could, if you could just get that in your mind. If I'm mad, nothing good is going to happen. And so I need to calm down. And you may need to retain a little bit of the intensity because that will give you courage to speak those things. Because there may be some important truth you need to speak. But you can't speak it when you're angry. Does that make sense? Yeah. And just for me, just because I've been a parent for a while, bring a witness. Mm -hmm. Bring your spouse. Bring your trusted. Because interpretation. Oh boy. What the grandparent hears doesn't mean that's what you said. Yeah. And then offense, and then it's a whole different. Yeah. My daughter just told me that she's going to take our grandkids away. You know. (laughs) Exactly. I think it. Yeah. And you're on the West. Yeah. I think it's also really important, and it depends on the age of your children, but you need to teach your children to be respectful of who's, who's their authority or caregiver. And, so, and even put it to where you know at home we have these rules. These same rules are to be you know, uh, held at Grandma and Grandpa's house. And so Grandma and Grandpa may not you know, punish you for these, but it's, you need to be obedient to our rules, even at grandma and grandma's house, or to a babysitter. They're in charge of you, and I want you to respond to them as a person in charge. To their teachers, you need to teach them to be respectful and obedient to those who are put in authority over them. Wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I do know. That rephrase it for everybody. Ch- oh. So when the kids are two to three year old, three years old, there's often a time frame in there where they don't respond to any other. The uh, comfort or the the affection. Person who wants to, Even you know, yeah. yeah. And I've had moms say, "Oh, my my mom wants to kiss them, and they just don't want to have anything to do with them." And that can be embarrassing. Tell her to not wear so much perfume, for one thing. (laughs) Um, And it's something that you cannot force your children, like, on the spot, because that's embarrassing, too. So even, I think it's it's something that there might be a, like, a phase that they're going through, and it's something that you kind of maybe talk them through over time. Let me give you my take. You can't force kids to come out of their personality. You know, some kids are shy. Some kids just run up to anybody and they'll hug them and love them and everything like that. Other kids are shy. And I I think what my personal take would be, I would talk to my 
mom if it were a grandma or somebody else and say, you know what, she's a little on the shy side, just, just give her time. And, and not, hey, hug your, you know, hug your grandma, you know, give your grandma a kiss. I, I think that's what, uh, that's, yeah, my grandma kissing her was a terrifying <laughs> proposition to me, I got to tell you. But she, she would cook my dinner, and she was the worst cook on the face of the earth. And I wouldn't eat my dinner, and then guess what? For breakfast the next morning, there it was, you know. So that was my grandma. I still have nightmares from that. Um, but, but give, this, this is a point where hopefully you're getting to know your kid's personality. Um, and some might be shy. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd call that defiance. I, I think that's just kind of a personality thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Janet, you were going to say something. I just, that made me think about the fact that we were a little too, um, we were concerned with how the grandparents were feeling, I think, too much. And a lot of times, I mean, you guys even counseled us, why are you spending that much time with people that are not that great of an influence mm-hmm. on your family? And we were doing it to be respectful of, you know, the honoring of our parents. And a lot of times that was to the detriment of our kids. Yeah. And so I think to be willing to say, someone doesn't want to give a hug or whatever, I just feel like because that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Great. They don't have to. Yeah. We have to be able to say no even to the people we love. Yeah. Let me, let me give you one final principle. We, we could take all night on this one, I think. But be proactive. Talk about it sooner rather than later. Because if you wait till patterns develop so much, now it becomes this gigantic confrontation. And uh, you guys, here's a little tip. If you have been meeting as a couple and you've written down your, your, your passion and your principles for raising your children, it's going to be much easier to con- communicate with whether it's a caregiver, whether it's a parent, whether it's a grandparent, whatever. It's going to be much easier to communicate. Um, and by the way, if you're a single mom and the dad is in the picture, boy, this is what an important conversation to have at that point, but what a difficult conversation because there's lots of emotional noise going on in the whole relationship most likely. So this is where, you know, really having the, the passion to be proactive and get out in front of the conversation before it becomes a dramatic issue. Does that make sense? Okay. This is a time when you teach your children to be courteous and respectful. You teach them to say please and thank you uh, and to ask for things and not grab. So it is a time in this early uh, period where you're beginning to teach them how, what is socially acceptable behavior and what is polite and courteous behavior. Let's, let's close off this by talking about some skills and habits and character qualities you want to be building into the children at this age. Uh, I think praying before a meal, I think for kids to see you as a family, that you uh, pray and genuinely and sincerely thank God for your food. Please, please, never use a rote, memorized prayer. You know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay, God kind of stuff. You know, it just, kids will see that as meaningless and they will begin to point from that to your relationship with God oh what he has is a rote meaningless relationship with a non-existent God 
So make your prayers passionate. And as soon as your kids are able, start including them in the prayer. Hey, what would you like to thank God for today? And they may not be able to form a, a whole prayer, but maybe they can just say, thank you, God, for the food, or thank you, God, for mom and dad, or thank you for this. Get them involved. Uh, picking up their toys after they play. Uh, this is the time at this point in their lives to get them used to, hey, you're done playing, it's time to pick up your toys. And the, and the great thing is, is af after each time if they learn to do that, it can become a habit. And if you build that habit into their lives, you've saved them from a lot of junk work that they have to think about. Oh my gosh, my room's a mess. Well, why is it a mess? Because I've been living here a week without cleaning it up. That's the story of my life. You should have seen my office when I was a pastor. It was a disaster area. I mean, they had, people wore hazmat suits when they came into my office. It was, and, and, it, and my parents did a lot of great things, but they never taught me to do that. Now, some of you do that naturally, don't you? Not me. Okay, some, do some of you have kids who are naturally neat? Any of you? Well, that's amazing, you see. Uh, I always, uh, none of my kids were put away kind of kids. But we'd have friends, kids who would come over and they'd put things away so neatly and I'd just be astounded that somebody... That's why we always had friends over at the house because they could put our kids' toys away, so... <laughs> so kids are different. <laughs> All right. Uh, we talked about brushing them, uh, brushing their teeth. Uh, great time to just teach them. And don't expect them to know how to do that. I mean, that sounds silly. I've got to teach them how to brush... Yes, you do. They don't know how to do it. And... Uh, Getting themselves dressed, very important. Responding appropriately to the first communication. Okay. Now, some of your kids, they may even have a hearing problem. I think our Jill, our middle, she actually had difficulty hearing. They had to get some things done for her ears. But, but if your kids can hear you, they need to respond to you. And if they don't respond to you, it's a great time to, for a reminder. You know what? I... I God has placed me in a position of authority over your life, and when, you, when I speak to you, I need you to respond to me. Okay? Even if it's when I'm calling your name for you to respond, turn towards me, look at me, and say what? It'll help you a lot. Um, sharing toys, politeness, uh, the beginning skills of communication, um, as soon as your kids are old enough, encourage them to order for themselves at the restaurant and to look the waiter or waitress in the eye and tell them loudly, not mumbling, what it is they want. What you're doing is you're, help, you're equipping them to function in an adult world. Um, key character qualities for this age. Uh, it's just two. Kindness and honesty. That's really what you're looking for in this before they start school kind of thing. You want them to be honest with you and you want them to develop a spirit of kindness towards other people around them. Yeah. What if they figured out how to not be honest and you don't always know <laughs> if what they're saying is honest? Oh boy, did we have that one. Um, our, our oldest daughter was the most amazing liar you ever heard. I mean, she. <laughs> oh, liar. <laughs> uh, she. <laughs> Um, she was down with my grandparents one time. Your yeah, my parents, yeah. And she had them convinced that we just installed a jacuzzi in our backyard. 
And she described where it was and how we were going out and sitting in the... She was, what, four years old when this happened? And so, you know, this is where, as a mom and a dad, develop your listening skills because you can start picking it up. Uh, And so if you have a good liar, this just really encourages you to look them in the eye and just say, okay, uh, boy, I need you to tell me the truth on this is... Is what you said really true? And I think teaching them the difference between what's a story and what's the truth. Because they're, you know, you might be reading to them and reading stories and, you know, things like that. So I think it's really important to differ, help them differentiate, you know. Yeah. When you're not telling the truth, you're telling a story, you're making up how you think things went or how you want things to have gone, but it's really important that you tell me how things really right. went. And, and learn why your children are lying. Many children exaggerate because they're feeling a little bit insecure and they want to make things a little bigger than they are in real life. Uh, other kids are avoiding difficult things to say. There's a lot of different reasons why avoiding kids lie. punishment. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to go speak. Yeah. That she knows Okay, you need to explicitly tell her, I was going to give you this punishment, but because you told me the truth, your punishment is going to be cut in half. Okay. And so there's a reward, and then there's a punishment, but, but, but she's learning, whew, I'm glad I told the truth, you know, and that's, that's a great thing. Yeah, question over here. Okay, that's a real easy one. You just say, you know what? I know this is not true. This is how I know this is not true. Let them know. And to say, I want to give you one more chance. Will you tell me the truth? And if they don't, then double the punishment. Whatever the punishment would have been, then you make it very clear this was a bad thing to keep on lying to me. So it's... It's really important that they see a reward for telling the truth and they see a a greater punishment for lying. Yeah. So I have a little one, but um, he's like amazing at distracting when it's going to be that punishment and he's doing it with uh, like hitting even his own self. You know, it's like, wait, you're, no, don't do that. And then he'll be like, oh, you know, and kind of just like, I'm like, no, you're doing that on purpose. Let's focus on this first thing, or we'll do time out. But it's always, it's always a distraction that is like trying to just deter from the main, you know, source. So, so you've got a future attorney on your hands. <laughs> 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 He's beautiful at it, and I'm just like, ah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay, this is where. How, how old? Two. Oh, too. So, yeah, it's, it's so it's not like you can really talk reason. Right. Okay, let me let me tell you what you're doing. Boy, you're going to have fun in the years to come. I got to tell you. It, but you got a great kid who is who is going to turn out to be something extraordinary. I want I want you to know that. And that's something you always have to keep in mind with the frustration. Boy, this kid has some gifts. He's able to figure things out really quickly. 
and that's good, but right now that's bad. And so, again, the key is just to patiently clarify the situation. Look, I'm disciplining you for this. I know you're trying to do this to get, you know, for whatever reason, but I'm disciplining you for this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go on to the next. Yeah. What? Somebody else had a question? I yeah. That is a later question, yeah. We'll, we'll actually get to that real quick. Um, and her question was how to get them to do because they want to do that. Two to five is not the time to work on that. Two to five is simply the time to work on obedience, to get, hey, there's authority, there's obedience, I, I need you to learn to obey. If you don't get that right at this era, it's going to be difficult, and we'll talk about how to, if you've got older kids and you don't feel like you've done that right in the two to five era, you, actually, you have to go back and do some uh, repair work. Because you're, it's like you're building a building, and the first story, if it's weak, boy, when you pile on the additional stories, things are going to crumble. So this is very important to get at a point where you don't feel like it's that important. Two to five, what are they doing? They're, you know, they're... they're touching the TV or they're doing this or they're, they're saying no and, it, and everybody laughs at them when they say no because it's so cute. No, that, this is the time where you need to realize we are building patterns that are either going to bless us for the future or it's going to curse us for the future. That as, make, we, as, oh, go ahead. as we go into this next section, uh, I just noticed over the years that you know, I work real hard at one age to kind of bring them into obedience. And then the next year was a great year. They were great kids. And then the next year, they'd have new limits that they'd be pushing and testing. And it was like you'd have to kind of, what happened to my good kid? Yeah. So you'd have to start again to bring those things. So it's not like you get it down and that's it. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> okay. It'll be something that will continually come up with different, maybe different issues. Now, when your child enters school, this is the next stage. Uh, it could either be preschool or kindergarten, depending on what, what you're doing with them. But that stage goes all the way through puberty, which could be 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, depending on your own child, because that changes. It's very different with different children. This... I cannot emphasize to you enough how much everything changes when your child enters school. And let me try to explain this to you. They're basically going from one voice into their lives to a thousand different voices in their lives. Okay? Uh, they're hearing from their teachers. If your kids are at a public school, uh, they may be hearing things that you believe are wrong. Uh, they will be hearing from Sunday school teachers. They will be hearing from the media, from the internet, and from the, depending on the kind of uh, limits you have. They will be seeing on television. They will be exposed to advertisements that are specifically designed to get them to lust after whatever is being advertised. So all of these voices are now coming into their lives. Your job is to be a guide and an interpreter to help them develop a cohesive do you know what I mean when I say worldview? 
Every, anybody not know what that means? Don't be embarrassed because it's important that you do. A worldview is kind of your perspective on life that helps you interpret everything that's going on. By the way, let me give you one of my begaboos. This is why I am so diametrically opposed to parents telling their children that Santa Claus is real. I think it is a terrible thing to do now. Be offended with me, it's okay. Um, but I'm going to explain why. If as your children are growing up and you're trying to help them understand truth and you play the whole Santa Claus thing and you actually make them believe that Santa Claus is real and, and all of this kind of stuff and then at a point in their lives they discover, oh, he wasn't real. And then there was the tooth fairy and the tooth fairy, oh, the tooth fairy's not real. Oh, and then there was whatever, the Easter Bunny, whatever it is you're, whatever you're foisting on your kids, the next logical understanding for them is, well, they told me Santa Claus was real, they told me the Easter Bunny was real, they told me the Tooth Fairy was real, they told me Jesus was real. You have become a source of not truth, but mythology to your children. Now, I know it's fun, you know, and all of this. And I actually think you can do the Santa Claus thing if you want to. Just make sure your kids know that it's hooey. <laughs> make sure your kids know that Santa and Satan have the same letters in them, okay? <laughs> just kidding on that one. Just kidding. Yeah. Well, if my kids were young, I'd just say, have them hang around my kids, because they, they were missionaries to the world telling people that Santa wasn't real, and I got so many parents mad at me. For, Your kid told me, my kid, that Santa wasn't real. Well, is he? You know, I, I never really apologized for that, because I thought I... <laughs> I'm a nasty man, you know, I really am. I, but... but what I, what I would do is, is just have a sit down with your kid and say, you know what, we kind of played the game of Santa Claus. I want you to know, uh, you know, the gifts that you received, your mom and dad, we, we, we bought those for you. We wanted you to have them. Or your grandma signed Santa Claus, but it's really from grandma. And, and just in a gentle, loving way, let them know that this is a, it's not true. And and we, we sort of get swept into it. I, I have never seen so much emphasis as this generation on parents wanting their children to, be, to actually believe in Santa Claus. And, and I think what happens is as they grow up, they drop one myth after the other. And I, I think that's a little bit of the reason why kids just, they don't have any problem dropping Jesus. Because for them, the process of growing up is learning that what you've said to them isn't true. Now, push back a little bit. I'd like to, I know some of you are thinking, this is stupid. I, would have. I thought I was coming to a parenting, not a, a religious zealot class or something. <laughs> uh, anybody want to talk to that or any questions about that? I'll just say one quick thing. I, I, we, yeah, we, did, we didn't do Santa Claus. We did do the Tooth Fairy, but from day one, I really would drop an obvious hint that it was me. I would use my, I mean, I would use my penmanship. I would say things that only I would know. I'd call them. And, and you'd have their tooth on a sw string, swinging it around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they would, you know, yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. 
understand. Should kind of be obvious. And when you forget, it. it really becomes clear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then I can say the tooth fairy forgot. Yeah. Go ahead. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense that it's it would, it would be healthier not to introduce Santa. It's not like Santa helps your understanding of Jesus. Right. But if you do, I think it's also important just to know that it doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, not believe in Jesus. Like I grew up that way, and I remember finding out, you know, about Santa, and I was like taking the trash out, and I was upset, and pushing the trash cans down. You know, I was like eight years old. But then I got over it, and I, you know, I believe in Jesus, and uh, you know, my, my parents did that, and their parents did that. But I think it's just uh, like I don't know. I guess if you're in the middle of it and you've already had this thing going, yeah. and you've got kids in different stages, uh, I. To me, and you know, I was 25 before I realized Santa wasn't real. So, you know, it was really devastating for me. But I, I, I just think, and as we close it up, we're going to talk about characteristics of fun families. And fun families are families that develop their own traditions apart from the world traditions. You know, they have their own lingo. They have their own fun games. They have the, and and I would encourage if you've got kids different age. This is a, make this Christmas a time for developing a whole new, we're going to do something different. There's no Santa Claus. Don't worry about it. We're going to do something better, you know. And, and make, it, make it fun for the kids and, and make it based on reality. I just, and, and you're right. Not everybody who believed in Santa Claus is a pagan. So it, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing. There are a lot of other things that are far more important to whether your kids are going to believe in Jesus. But I would just, I would just encourage if you're, if you're thinking about this, okay, if we want our kids to speak what is true to us, what are we modeling when we lead them to believe something that isn't true? You know, what's, what's the message here? And so that's, I think that's the big thing to really think through is you're in a modeling job right now, and what is it that you want to model by allowing them to believe in something that's not true? So that's, it's, it's just, it's more important, maybe it's more important to me than it should be, but I've just, I've seen... I mean, I slipped one Christmas Eve, and I had about 50 parents up, up, up ready to string me up. You know, we all know Santa Claus is our Christmas Eve service. All the kids are there, and I was making fun of Santa, and uh, yeah, it was terrible. It was. <laughs> I almost got fired on the spot, but. Uh, so, okay. Um, so let's talk about what what it is you're going to be developing in these kids. Uh, do you see the questions I have down um, page five? This is when you're going to start talking about values. Now, this is a scale. Here's something just to write down. I don't think it's in your note. Most children under the age, age of nine do not have the physical ability to think conceptually. Do you know what I mean by conceptually? They see everything in terms of material, black and white. So, honestly, when a child of seven thinks of Jesus coming into their hearts, they're thinking of a little man sneaking into their body and living in their body. That's how they think. They, they don't really think spiritually. They don't think conceptually. Um, and so, this the values thing is probably a little older, but when you're talking about values you're answering the question what is important to us as a family 
What is important to us as a family? And by the way, at this point, this is the beginning of the transition of making sure it's no longer, by the way, at this age, because I said so. Now you want to be basing what you're doing on what God says and communicating that to your children. Um, What are the skills that we want to build into our children's life? Again, this is the time, and the earlier you start, the better, that when you get home from school, maybe have a break, but the first thing to do is homework. Do something that I failed to do miserably as a parent. Build routine into the lives of your children. Uh, I'm telling you this, that, that it's important, but I'm also telling you I miserably failed Connie was the brunt of most of this, but uh, for me, routine was evil. It was the, the enemy of all fun in life. Uh, and spontaneity was what to live for. And I, you know... Why make your bed when you're just going to get it at that night? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was my philosophy all my life. Um, but I'm saying that now as a person who did it wrong, and I just want to encourage you that the more routine you can build into the lives of your children, say, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, hey, this is the hour that we do our homework. This is when we uh, do the chores. Things like that. It just makes life easier because by the time they get to where they have to think about bigger things, they already have the habits installed in their lives, okay? I know that during this time also is when you're getting your kids really involved in sports activities and extracurricular activities it's taking up a lot of their extra time and it's often hard for parents to implement a chore thing on them because they're so busy when are they going to do when are they going to do their chores when are they going to clean up their room or when the only time we have left in the day they need to do their homework so it's really important to be considering these things as you're getting them busy with things, really consider that you need time at home to develop some habits and skills and patterns that your job as a parent isn't just to keep them so busy that you don't have to deal with them. You do have to deal with them. And so maybe consider cutting back on some of these activities so that you will have to be responsible for doing some of the training. So I I would really encourage you because I just see parents getting their kids so busy that all they have time to do is pour into bed and that's, they're lucky if they get their homework done. So really think about that when you make choices. Let me reemphasize that because what she's saying is really important. This is a place where we as parents have to row against the current of the world because the current of the world says give your child every opportunity. Get them in dance, get them karate, let them then discover their katra, get them into, uh, <laughs> get them into uh, you know, uh, baseball, soccer. You know, When I was co- coaching my kids, there were kids on the team who were involved with four different sports at that one time. They were exhausted, they were bored, and they were tired of doing that stuff. And they were actually jealous of our kids because we basically had a one-sport limit. You can, you can do one sport, and then we had... One sport a year. Yeah, so yeah. So there were other seasons when they didn't have sports activities. Yeah, and their friends were actually jealous of them because they actually had time to play and be a kid. So I know you feel like, oh my gosh, we're missing opportunities for our kids, 
but you're not. What you're doing is you're giving them the most important thing they need, which is you. By the way, coaching for your kids is not spending time with your kids. Okay? Spending time with your kids is spending time with your kids. And so I want to encourage you, during this time, I would consistently be making decisions as parents to cut out activities, to slow your life down, and to build some margin into your lives. Busyness is such a value in America. We, we almost glory in, I'm so busy, I'm exhausted, and we, that, that communicates value, doesn't it? At least in America. And what I want to suggest is that there is time for you to be a family, for you to enjoy being a family, and for you to do things that nobody else in this world gets to do. This is also a time when kids nowadays are getting very, um, having a lot of screen time. And people are using, you know, the video games or the game, I, I don't know if they're called that anymore, but the games and things, computer games and whatever, to really occupy the kids. And this is also a time when it's really important to limit their screen time and to not use it as a babysitter. I mean, we've, we saw parents in China who came to us and said, my kids are spending 11 hours a day on playing games and they're addicted to games. And these were junior hires and they were, the parents had no input or control in their lives because they were you know, so locked into these games. And Steve even had many parents come to him as a pastor and say, what do I do? My kids are addicted to the games. So if your kids are young, you're in great shape, just limit their screen time. Maybe a half hour a day uh, when they're young and maybe when they get a little older, give them an hour a day. That's, by the way, TV, internet, whatever. Um, because the more time they spend in front of a screen, that's the less time, the smaller amount of time they spend doing life. I don't know if you guys know this, but they did a study uh, when television really took root in America, and they discovered that the number one activity that television replaced was hospitality. So you wonder, what did people do before television? They had friends over, and they spent the evening together, and they talked and they had communication. And so, you know, what a neat thing if your kids aren't running all over creation to say, hey, the Johnsons are coming over and we're going to have time tonight. And if your kids will look forward to that. And it will become a, a time for them to learn how to form relationships, how to communicate, how to be with adults. When I was growing up, uh, my parents were very hospitable. They had missionaries from all over the world coming into our home and we got to hear the stories of what they were doing and it was, it was an amazing time. Um, let's talk about character qualities you want to build in, okay? Uh, the two most important things, and, and I think you asked about this earlier, diligence and initiative, okay? This is where you start this, helping let me your... Ask it. Is this written down in here, or is this something they need to... I don't think this is in... Is, okay. This isn't so on your notes. Need, you need to take notes. Yeah, so... Diligence is the joy that comes from a job well done. How do you train that? Somebody was asking, how do you make kids want to do things? Uh, one of the things 
is when they finish something and they've worked hard at it, how does it feel to be done? And most people will great. And then this is where you pour the praise on. You know what? I don't even care what, what grade you get on this. What I'm excited about is you worked hard on this, and I'm so proud of that. When you praise, do not praise the outcome. Praise the effort. Because your kids, you guys all know your kids want to please you more than anything else. Do you all know that? They really want your admiration. They want your respect. They want to know that you think they're really worthwhile. So what you praise, they will do. So diligence is that desire. Whatever time I have, I'm going to give my best effort. Again, it took me a long time to learn this. All through my young life, I skated through life trying to do the minimum. And to learn diligence as an adult is really hard, i got to tell you. To learn diligence as a child is not that hard. And as my kids were growing up, I told them, if you have two things, you will shine in this world. Number one, if you have diligence. Number two, if you have an initiative. Initiative is that, that willingness to find out what needs to be done without being asked. Boy, when your kids just take the dishes over to the, uh, to the table and you didn't ask them to do that, boy, this is the time, parents, to praise, to catch them doing something right, to say, wow, that is amazing. Thank you for bringing those over. Or so whenever they do something without being asked, catch them. And catch them in a wonderful way that they know that what they did was something really important. And they're going to get this great feeling associated with taking initiative. And one of the things I have to say, all three of my kids are initiators. All three of them. Sarah attends down in Rock Harbor. Uh, She looks around. She sees old people who need food. So she organizes a group in the church to have a Meals on Wheels, uh, whatever, you know, chapter. And so she had people taking meals to older people who couldn't get out, and several people have come to the Lord as a result of that. See, she saw a need, and she initiated to take that, to meet that need. That's what, that's what you're trying to build at this K through 6th grade level. And one way that you can teach it is to uh, have them ask, what more can I do? So, so if... Dad's out cleaning the garage, and he's had, you know, the kids do a few things. The mom might say, go ask your dad, what more can you do? Is there anything else that needs to be done? Or the dad for the mom, is there anything else that needs to be done? And just encourage them to, why don't you look for something more that you could do? One more thing, and then you can be done for the day. So, you know, go out in the garage and look for one one more thing that you could do. So... Kind of put it in their mind that that's something that you want them to develop. Number one way is model it, though. Yeah. Dad, if you finish dinner, you go sit on the recliner with your beer and you're burping and changing channels. Uh, <laughs> you know, your kids are not going to learn initiative. So you take initiative with your wife. You take initiative with your kids. 
and call it that. Teach them the words. Teach them the words diligence and initiative and let them know that what I desire to see in you are those two things. In baseball, I don't care how, what you hit. What I care is that you give your best effort. In Sunday school, in memorizing scripture, in stuff at home, in chores, give, just it's more fun to do your best than it is to do the least you can possibly do. Any questions about these two character qualities? These are, these are important. The, the thing that we tried to do when our kids were growing up is rather than focusing on the grades they got, focusing on what they did to get the grades. So again, you focus on the effort, not on the grades, because, you know, uh, I don't know. The, the grades are so... You're teaching them to derive their sense of how good they did from other people. And you know if your kid's smart, they don't have to work that hard and they can get by with less. So... Uh, I thought we had different values when our... Um, I think our daughter came home and had a C on her report card. And Speedy says, wow, that's great. <laughs> Con- Connie was aghast, but, uh, you know, I... I love school, and I got good grades, and I enjoyed it. He hated school, and so for him, a C was an amazing thing. It really was. And, but then when, you know, it was a learning thing for me, too, to not really focus on the grades so much as, are you doing your best? Are you working hard? Because that's what's really key. Because our kids will have different abilities and different levels, and we want to encourage them to do their best. Not to get the A, or to get the, you know, 100%. Um, habits that you want to build at, during this time. Uh, homework done at appropriate time. Um, and, and by the way, um, I don't know how teachers are doing it nowadays. Uh, all through my school, I could lie about my homework and get out of doing it by lying about it. Uh, can kids do that now? Or, or Okay. Um, what we had to do with Sarah, we went to the teacher and we asked her, would you sign this paper that says she's written down all of the homework that you've given her? Because she's lied every night. And, and so we needed to know what her homework was. See, I was easy, I was great at catching it because it was exactly what I did growing up. I was a filthy liar. And, and I was a good liar. And so I'm watching TV all, my, all night. My dad asked my mom, did he do her homework? Oh, yes, he got it all done. I didn't do one thing. She just didn't know what the homework was. And so, and so, all th- and so about the middle of each semester, I'd get this thing called an unsatisfactory notice. You know? And then I'd get whacked like crazy, but then I'd just start lying again and it back to normal. So don't... Stay in a box. If you don't know if your kids are telling you the truth, get external cooperation. Go to the teachers. And I think most, when we went to the teacher, the teacher was excited to do that because she saw Sarah wasn't doing her best. So she, she, each night she'd come home, we'd have a little paragraph of what her homework was signed by the teacher. So I had the confidence of knowing that we were, and Sarah was learning how to live in truth. Okay? Now, she was being forced to live in truth, but she was learning that it's a lot better to live in truth 
and then when the grades come out, everybody's happy, and then that's how she got reinforced. I never did, I never had that, okay? Um, okay. Uh, other, let's see. Oh, um, by the way, all of your kids, uh, having them do chores is really important, whether it's uh, making the bed, having, having time to clear the dishes, uh, whatever the routines of your family are, your kids as a part of the family ought to be participating and take responsibility in that. Now, what that means is if they drop and break a plate, you can't get mad at them, okay? Unless they're throwing the plate down or something like that. But if, if they do what kids do, which is drop something, that's when they need to know, that's when they need to hear, you know what, that's okay. I, I just, I'm excited that you're helping. Yeah? What is a good age to start the chores? Get these kids to pull their own weight. <laughs> <laughs> When can you get him to do all your work? <laughs> Since I never did a chore in my life, I'll defer to Connie on this one. You know, there's different chores that are effective for different age levels, you know, and you just, I mean, when they're, I don't know, four, five, and six, you can encourage them to take their plates over to the sink and, or put them in the dishwasher. I, you can well, we already got our three-year-old trying to clean up messes and stuff. So, yeah. so, so for three... You know, basically, if they, can, if they can pick up their Legos after they're done playing, yeah. that's a win, you know. So have your chores be appropriate to their ages. Yeah. What if you see that the effort in their chores is subpar? Okay. If the effort is subpar, uh, it's important. This is very important. It's a great question. What if the effort is subpar? Praise whatever you can in the effort that they gave, okay? Some parents, if the kid did seven out of 10 things, guess what the parents focus on? The three that they didn't do, okay? That starts to give your kids the, the idea that they can't win with you, okay? So you praise the effort that they gave, and then on top of that, you say, let me share with you what I'd like to see, you know, that, that would just be great. And then you do it with them. Okay? Do it with them. Because, uh, you know... Sometimes we do have expectations that they don't know or that it really is hard for them to live up to. See, and so if they're always a disappointment to you, why would they even try? Yeah. So I think that's where catching them doing something well, doing it with them and teaching them, you know, your expectations are both great ways to kind of raise the level, but I think also that whole idea of, you know, when you're able to do this and have everything in its place, then you'll be able to do this. Then so have a reward have for the reward, yeah. a greater ability, you know, for reaching a certain level of, so kind of work out how yeah. to reward them. Uh, when, they're, when they're doing it great. And let, let me just tell you, my parents were great parents, but one of the places they weren't great was in training of the mundane duties of life. And my mom would come in and she'd say, clean your room. And I want to tell you, I remember very clearly looking at my room, I don't have a clue of what to do. I don't know, I don't know what to do first. I just look at this mess that was three feet piled high 
and I had no idea where to start. And she'd come back later and she'd say, why didn't you clean your room? And I couldn't articulate it at that time, but the honest truth is, I don't know how. Okay? That sounds like a, a lousy excuse, doesn't it? But, and there are some kids who can do it naturally. I couldn't. I, I needed somebody to teach me how. Okay, first let's start with this, and then you start with this, and then, you know, so that I could know how to do it. And it was that way with homework. I didn't know how to do my homework. I was, if I were living today, I would be diagnosed ADHHHHD. I mean, I would be, I would be so medicated, you wouldn't be able to, I'd be drooling out of my, you know. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Do you pay them for doing chores? My, my preference, and I'll just give you this, is I think, I think chores should be done because they are a part of the family. And there are other rewards that you can give them, you know, more the emotional. And, and, and then if you, at an appropriate... Stars on a chart. Yeah. I mean, they like that accomplishment yeah. of stars, and maybe after... 10, 15 stars will go to, you know, get a, a place they'd like to go, go yeah. Get yeah. a Slurpee or something. So you can kind of reward them that way. That's a great idea. Uh, I, I like to set up a family. You do chores because you're a part of the family. And then at an appropriate time, you give them an allowance. Now, the allowance can be, I, I like to separate it from the chores. Uh, we know you need money for this or that or the other thing so we're going to give you this allowance or if you want to give them over and above work that they can do to earn money but but I like the chores to be separated from money because it just gets them on a materialistic bent I'll be good if you pay me you know I'll do what you want if you pay me and I I don't think that's a healthy uh, Motivation. yeah does that make sense it does. okay I just want to go back to the cleaning. Yeah. You know, I've, you know, my kids are older now, but I noticed a lot of times I'd go to people's houses and they had way too much stuff. Yeah. It's like, how can your kid clean when there's nowhere for the books, there's nowhere for the clothes? So just really ask yourself, are they going to be successful? Right. Because everyone's garage sailing it and they're packing their homes up with everything they got for, you know, 25 cents. And it's overwhelming. Yeah. I think that kids need to be set up for success. Great. Even in a small house, frankly, it was the only way we could do it. It's just cut it all back. Yeah. You know, pick the top ten toys. Did you all hear that, by the way? It's, that's a powerful... If, if they're having trouble keeping things clean, it may be they just have too much junk. It's too much. And what a neat project to, as a family, say, we're going to give this to Goodwill. We're not going to sell it in a garage sale. We're going to give it to Goodwill to help other people and have the kids choose what they're going to give, and you take it down. Do it as a family. Yeah, and your whole house. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any other questions on this? We need to, I want to try to finish the teenage years. Um, okay. Teenage years are from puberty, and when it comes, you'll know, okay? If, if you don't know when puberty comes, it hasn't come yet, Okay. Uh, because this little child changes quite dramatically. I remember when Sarah, uh, uh, there was one time we were driving, we were in, I had a Toyota Camry, so they're all sitting close together in the back seat. Connie and I were driving together, 
And the boys are doing what they always do. You know, Sarah's in the middle. And, and this lioness just comes out of Sarah. You know, she just starts kidding him. I can't stand it anymore. You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, puberty struck, okay? <laughs> At that moment, puberty struck. Now, I know, ladies, you hate it when we say it's hormones, but it's hormones, okay? It's, by the way, it's hormones for guys and girls, okay? When, when this stuff... Uh, hits there are chemicals going around in your child's body that they've never felt before they don't know what to do with but all of a sudden what used to feel on a scale of 0 to 10 to be a 3 now feels like an 8 okay both good and bad your kid will you'll think they're bipolar you know you're, they're, they're, they're ecstatic one moment and they're ready to end it all the next moment you know it's just it, it's quite the drama when they, when they hit this. And I, I remember when Matt hit his, you know, he was this wonderful compliant kid. And all of a sudden the elbows got sharpened. Wham! You know, it's just, uh, it was just, uh, but it's not bad. I think he slammed the door so hard that it actually broke the door frame <laughs> on his sister's door. He actually punched through the door <laughs> with his fist. You know, so th- these are... <laughs> the truth is up. <laughs> Matt knows all, all disclosures. See, I'm I'm self-disclosing too. You're knowing that I'm a loser, so you know we're all we're all losers in life. So it's, join the club. We all need Jesus. <laughs> Here's the point. You must not overreact when they hit the stage. Okay. This is normal, it's healthy, it's wonderful, it is their first steps towards becoming an adult. And if the message they hear from you is that's bad, you set things on the wrong course. Does that make, you understand? Uh, and... Yeah. You know, it's interesting, and this is why I am such a fan of parents having monthly meetings. And if you're a single mom, find a friend to have a single, to have a, a, a mom meeting with them. Because if you can anticipate this stuff, you're way ahead of the game. And this is why, this is why we're going through these stages to help you maybe think ahead of the curve a little bit and hopefully when this hits you go, oh, that's what he was talking about, you know, and you can, you can respond to it a little more he- in a healthy way and a little more quickly um, but I, I really think that if you don't have time where you're sitting down with somebody, either your husband, your wife or a friend that the dailiness of life just gets all muddled and you will forget and you'll just respond to that child based on how it feels to you rather than how you can be the parent for them, him or her. This is really important, you guys, because at this point in life, you are 
going to have the most powerful influence to determine what kind of an adult your child is going to turn into. Yes? I, I need you to speak lo a lot louder. Going back to what you said about not overreacting when they hit this stage, because if you overreact and tell them that it's bad, mm -hmm. um, you're sending the wrong message, but if they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing and you try to discipline them, they're going to they're gonna view that as you think it's bad. So okay, that is a fabulous question. Now, I want to restate it, and I want, I want to make sure that I heard you correctly. Okay, we don't want to tell them that that's bad, but, if we, but we need to discipline them for the things that they're doing wrong. So how can we balance helping them know that what they're going through is normal and still maintain discipline in the house? Right. Is, did I get it correctly? Okay, just wanted to make sure. Um, by the way, that's a fabulous question. How do you do this? Be proactive. Talk to them before they do things wrong. Talk to them, uh, you know, if, if you've got a daughter who's 9 or 10, that's the time to start prompting her as to what's going to be happening in her life. Now, you don't have to have the talk, you know. Okay, here's how sex works, here's how babies are born, you know. You don't have to get into all of that stuff. You just need to let them know that in the coming months or years, things are going to start changing in her body. For your son, things are going to start changing in his body, and that's going to affect how you feel, how you talk, how you react to things. And here's the message, you guys. I want to be a partner with you as you go through this to adulthood. That, boy, that is the message your child needs to hear because they will be embarrassed. Your daughter will be embarrassed about her first period. Your son will be embarrassed about the things that are changing in his body. And this little thing down there that starts reacting weirdly, you know, and, uh, you know. I love what Elaine Bennis said in a sign She said, I don't know how you guys put up with that thing, you know. And I, she's exactly right. You know, crazy things start happening. And your kids need to know that you're safe. You're safe. And by the way, if you're married, men, I recommend that either for daughters or sons, you're the one leading the charge in this conversation. Because from that point on, dads, you are going to have the lion's share of responsibility of shaping your children, both boys and girls. Okay? If you're a single mom, you're going to have challenges, but you can do this. But it might even be well to pick, a, you know, to have a youth pastor, a, a young man, somebody who can also speak into your children's life from a male perspective. Okay? Um, why do I say this? 
Um, the number one correlation that I've seen between kids who turn out not living out their parents' faith and kids who do is with kids who don't, there's a passive dad in the home. A dad who just kind of tunes out, does his own thing, and all of the spiritual mentoring, all of the emotional mentoring, all of the intellectual mentoring is coming from the mom. The kids, the chances of the kids rejecting the faith of their parents grows exponentially. Now, if you're a single mom, what do you do with that? You say, I don't have a man in my life. How can I, how can I do this? This is where I think it's really important for you to realize, man, I am going to have to, to try to take on a dad-mom perspective in this thing. Uh, typically, when you think of dad, you think of the guy, you know, growing up, and uh, I had a great friend who didn't have a dad in his life. And he would do the stupidest things. And when I was working with him, I realized one of the greatest ministries of my dad as I was going through my teenage years is him saying, that's a stupid idea. You know, and, and it was, he was right. Now, he gave me a lot of affirmation, a lot of stuff, but when I had a stupid idea, he told me it was a stupid idea. And he told me in no uncertain terms. And w what I'm saying is, when we think of a dad, we think of more the direction giver, the moral center, the, the, uh, um, the, the firm side. And when we think of the mom, we tend to think of more the nurturing and the loving and, and all of these kind of things. And your kids really need both functions going on in their lives. So, mom, there are times when you need to almost kind of come out of yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to be firm and I'm going to be tough and I'm not going to take any, you know, poop from this kid and, you know... <laughs> He, he's going to hear what he needs to know. And as a single mom, you can do that. And I want you to understand, this is where the ministry of the Holy Spirit comes in. He can equip you to do this, even though you may not feel that you can do it. So if you're a single mom, don't lose heart when I talk about the importance of the dad. You can do this. I think one of the things that we recommend for starting in the... Um, Age, the stage ahead of teenage is for the dads to actually take their kids out one-on-one -on -one for a time, just, you know, on a regular basis, even the, the, their daughters to just go out for... And that's next week, by oh. the way. That, that oh. yeah, that's what we'll be talking about next week. Next week, week. Yeah. sorry. But so next week we're going to get specifically into to dealing with teenagers. We're going to spend most of the evening on that and then setting them free as adults. So but I you, think what you were yeah. saying was how important it is for the dads to be in on mm -hmm. this. And it can start in the stage ahead of them, ahead of this, where you're just hanging out with them and asking them how things are going. And so you can kind of build up to where you've developed that relationship so that you can be open in conversation down the road. So, so you're into like the dads getting with the daughters and talking about the And the stuff. sons. The, okay. the dads in this, and I think what Steve was saying in this time of coming into teenage, the dad is really the primary input 
into their kids' values and into their kids' confidence and, uh, yeah. Let me tell you, when Sarah hit puberty, her and Connie did not get along. I mean, it was like a cat fight, you know, woof, you know, it was just terrible. And, and... Cats don't say woof. I know. (laughs) But, but Sarah would get angry, and Cotty would get angry, and things would just escalate. And for some reason, when I sat down with her, she'd try all of her junk, and I would just sit there. I wouldn't get angry. And, and, and the picture I give for parents of teenagers is you're a wall. You can push against a wall, and the wall's not going to get mad at you. You can push against a wall, and that wall's not going to move. And again, your teenager's number one goal will be to get you to, ang- to be angry, because if they can get you angry, they've won that, con- that contest. Okay? And so for men, I don't know, somehow I... I f- I feel like God has equipped us to do this a little easier. Just to hear all the junk and say, you know what, I, I understand what you're feeling, but this is what needs to be done. That's a stupid idea. Yeah, and that's a stupid idea, yeah. One thing that's been really helpful for me was Doug keeps telling me to let go. Because I think as moms, we want to nurture and we want to control because that's what we did raising them as little kids and so we think we're going to protect them. Yep. And I think guys... Are more easy letting go, and so he's teaching me to, you know, you just watch moms getting, yeah, yeah, and what you've said is very important. The number one sin of teenage parents is they don't loosen quickly enough because if you try to control too much the only option kids have is to rebel or to become too compliant. And now, in the teenagers, you don't want compliance. You want them actively, aggressively embracing their faith and not your rules, but the guidance of God in their life. This is, you see, the teenage is totally different from parenting kids. Now you want them embracing this and taking it actively, yeah. Is not trying to control. That's sort of what I'm trying to do with my 16 year old a lot because he's so super social. Wants to be out. He's so what? Social. Okay. Extremely social. Close, close friend group that they want to be out doing things all the time. So, where do you draw the line as far as not trying to control but saying sometimes you don't have to be doing stuff all the time? First principle you and your husband have to be in complete agreement on where you're going to draw the line. 100%. No space between you. Then you take the lead in saying, hey, and, and here's, here's the important thing. Your 16-year-old needs to know what you want for him when he's 18. Why are you making these restrictions on him? Because you are training him for something more important for that day when he will not have your restrictions, but he's going to have He's, the fences are going to be down and he's going to be making decisions by himself. Does that make sense? So, this is where you have, and one of the things we'll be talking about is dads having monthly conversations with their kids one-on-one, teenagers, where they just sit down and go over stuff in life. Okay? 
if, if you do that so much of the frustration that you're having because typically you're only having those conversations when he wants to do something and you have to say no at that point yes yeah okay now you need to catch that one millisecond where it's not going on that's when you have the conversation okay here's what we want for you and here's what we're he needs to be on the same team as to where you're going as a family and where he's going as this emerging adult and and so 16 a little bit behind the curve but you can catch up and I think this is something that we will be addressing Next week specifically is what so we're going to be. I think we have about 10 minutes to get through empowerment. Oh, okay. Well, let me, I, I really need to finish up. I'm helping you. I really need to finish I'm up with the teenage years because, um, and your, your son is a great example of this. Your goal is by the time he turns 18, he's going to have the wisdom of God about when to say yes to social things, when to say no to social things. And you have to start training him to make those decisions now. Okay? Here's, the, here's an overview of the teenage years. When they turn 10 or 11 and puberty sets in, this is where you need to renegotiate all of the rules of parenting with them or her and help them to buy into the journey that they're going to be on over the next seven to eight years. Okay? The earlier you do that, the better things are going to be. And the whole goal, and the goal for you with your son is to help him realize, you know what, we want to give you as much freedom as you can handle. That's our goal for you. We want you to have the wisdom to make those choices. We want you to have the self-control that when it's important for you to say no, you'll say no. Because guess what? In a couple of years, we're not going to be with you, and you're going to have to have all of those commitments in yourself. And so we're on the same team. I know it feels like we're keeping you from doing everything that's joyful and fun in life, but we're actually on the same team because we want you to be an adult who both can enjoy life and can get things done that need to get done. Does that make sense? So that's kind of the direction we'll be taking next week. Um, let's see. It's not next week. You're right. Oh, yeah, two weeks from now. Two weeks. Uh, Couple of, yes. In regards to the person that you want them to be when they're 18, are you sitting down with them as a teenager and are you having a conversation about who you all want that person to be at 18? Absolutely. Or are you as adults saying, this is who we want you to be. You're negotiating with them. So you're having them buy in mm -hmm. completely. And it's their goals as well, so that when you sit down with them later at 16. Yeah. Did any of you do the assignment we gave you last week? Okay. This assignment that we gave last week of getting on the same page is what is going to be the basis of that first conversation. Let me tell you what your mom and I have been praying for you ever since you were about four or five years old. This is the kind of person we've been praying that you would become. Now, I would like to know, who do you want to become? Now, the first time you ask that question, you'll get this brilliant answer. I don't know. <laughs> because kids have never thought that, right? But you're planting seeds that will take about six months to grow before you can actually have a reasonable conversation. But you keep meeting with them and keep planting those seeds. 
you know, when you're 25, what, what would you like to be able to say about your life? What, would, what, what are the things that you really want to do? What, what are you good at? What do you love? What, what, uh, what kind of a, a man, what kind of a woman do you want to be? What kind of relationships and friendships do you want to have when you're 18? Now, you're going to get a lot of I don't knows, but you're planting seeds, questions in their lives. And those questions are going to get them to start looking to you more because they don't have the answers. Does that make sense? So you're not out to answer all their questions. You're out to ask questions that get them thinking. And then what is, what is so exciting is as you're going through the teenage years, here are the principles, fewer statements, more questions. You don't want to be telling them what to do all the time. You want to be asking them what they think they should do and what would be the consequences of the decisions either way. Uh, less less uh, criticism, more affirmation. Boy, sometimes in the teenage years, all we're doing is whacking the kids, finding them what they did wrong, what they failed to do, what they, you know, all of these things. And the kids will learn that they can't win with you. Uh, so less criticism, more affirmation. Again, whenever he does something right, you catch him and you praise that and you, you just let him know that that's, that's what you're looking for. And then always, always, always separate important communication from discipline. Never try to talk about anything important when you're disciplining the kid. Discipline him and then get it over with and then go on with life. But then have a conversation later to talk about the things that are really important. Uh, we're out of time, I think, right? Yep. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll uh, kind of combine what I was going to finish tonight into next, uh, next time we're together. But what I want to give you next, uh, next time we're together is kind of a, how, what this journey looks like from roughly 11 to 18. Because if you can help your child get excited about this journey... It will make negotiating through the teenage years more of a wholesome and a team proposition rather than a parents versus kid proposition, okay? And uh, that's where we'll be going. So thank you, guys. I know we covered a lot of stuff tonight, but uh, my goal for you is that um, this will be something that will just... uh, uh, kind of give you a, an overview or an outline of where you should be going, okay? Thanks. Again, the assignment that oh. uh, we'd like you to do, if you haven't done it, is on page 7. And it has you write down what you'd like to see in your child by the time he turns 18. And then there's some uh, categories to think about. Skills and habits, character, commitments, knowledge, wisdom, and relationships. So... That would be really helpful for you to think about over the next two weeks. And then we'll get together on the 29th, I think it is.